Okay, good morning. Um, if you'd like to open your Bibles to um, the book of Colossians, and we're going to look at chapter 3 and verses 1 to, well, I don't think we'll get that far. Let's look at 1 to 2, please. So Colossians uh, chapter 3 and verses 1 to 2. And it says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek what is above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Think of what is above, not of what is on the earth. So if you, sorry, if then you were raised with Christ. Now, the first bit that's quite important here is that, that Paul is, is trying to teach us is that if you were raised with Christ. Now, in, in the modern day church, we don't really teach this correctly anymore. Uh, we seem to think or we teach that um, when you give your life to Jesus, you're obviously cleansed in the blood and then that's it. It's a done deal. Kind of baptism and all that kind of stuff where they're just kind of things that we have to do, but they're not really that important. But actually not so, because you see, when Jesus' side was pierced, what came out of his side? Blood and water. And it says in John 3, it says that we're saved by the spirit and through water, born again by, by spirit and by water. And so the baptism is a really key component in that. And again, a modern day Christianity doesn't really teach this anymore, but the early church really believed this is a big thing. So in the early church creeds, you had baptism was for the remission of sins. You go, well, what does that mean? Surely it's the blood that, that forgives us for our sins. But actually, it's the blood that atones you for your sins. But it's the, it's the point of baptism, which is when you go down into the water, you die with Christ. So you're crucified with Christ, as it says in Colossians 2. And then when you come out of the water, you're raised up with Christ from death to new life. So the old you has been crucified so that they now have been raised up. So if no one is, if a Christian has never been baptised in full emotion baptism, then uh, you're missing out because you haven't come into the fullness actually of your salvation. Because you see, whenever the early church believed that when you then ask God to forgive you your sins, you went back to the moment of your baptism, not the day you got born again. And so if you, the day you come out of those waters, that was the cleanest you'd ever be on this, in, in this earth. Yeah? And so when you ask God to and you confess your sins, it takes you back to the same moment as when you were baptised in Christ. Because at that moment you come out of the waters, you were a new creation. Okay? Uh, so it's really powerful. So this is why as a... As a as a pastor as well, you know, when I'm ministering to people, I always say to them, have you been baptized? Because if you haven't, that's a problem. Because it, legally, de demonic stuff can have strongholds over people if there's parts or areas of their life that's not put under the blood and under the water. Amen? Uh, okay, so, so if then you were raised with Christ. So anyone here been raised with Christ? Do I, do I get an amen? Okay, good. Most of you, that's good, if not all of you. So you were raised with Christ. Now, if you're raised with Christ, okay, that means you're also seated with Christ. Now, where's, where's Jesus sat? Right hand of the Father. So where are you sat? Right hand. Smart crowd. I like you guys. Okay, right. So if then you are raised with Christ, it then goes on to say, seek what is above. Seek what is above. You know, so much of the time we can be seeking after things of the earth. Seeking this, seeking that. You know, uh, I'm kind of a, a visually wired guy. So, you know, if I see something that looks really pretty, I'm like, oh, I want one of them. 
okay, because that's how I'm wired. And so I'll get magazines about it, you know, and look at it and see it from all different angles. Oh, I really want one of those. Yeah. Um, but I can't do that anymore because actually it's not good for my soul. So I've, uh, I've now come to a point where it's like, okay, God, I just want to focus on you. I want to keep my mind and my attention on you. Because we get this picture of Peter. We all know the story so well. When Peter's in the boat and Jesus is walking on the water and the storms are raging and and he says to Jesus, hey, call me out. Okay, so he stepped out of the boat and he's actually walking on water. He's doing the impossible because he is keeping his eyes fixed on the heavenly thing, which is Christ himself, who is the one from heaven, the bread of heaven, the manna from heaven that we eat and become just like him. Hallelujah. So the bread of heaven came down. So he's looking at this bread of heaven. He's got his intention, his focus is on the Son of God and he can walk on water. But the moment that he started looking to the left and to the right, he started to lose it and, uh, and started to drown. <laughs> And he's like, Jesus, help me. And then the focus of his attention pulled him out of that pit. He said, if you were then raised with Christ, seek what is above where Christ is seated. As our focus and our attention should always be upon the Lord our God. You know, we can easily get sidetracked by secondary issues. Christians, we're good at it, right? Anyone here got your pet doctrine? Come on, we've all got one. And we can go off on it, can't we? Oh, yeah, but, you know, I think it's really important. That blah, 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 you know, because this is like, and this is so important to me. Yeah, but it's not a primary issue. It's a secondary issue. And it's not the most important thing. The most important thing is Christ. And if you keep your eyes fixed on him and not to the left and not to the right and what's going on around you and the chaos and the muck and the craziness around us, but we keep our minds fixed on him and stayed on him, he, it says in the scriptures, will keep us in perfect peace. Implying that if we take our attention off him and start even for a second looking around at what's going on around us, you will lose that peace. And that's where Christ doesn't want us to be. Because in uh, Romans 5.1, it's through what Christ did on the cross has made us, given us peace with God. But as it says in Hebrews 4, it says contend to stay in the place of rest and in the place of peace. And you think, how can you contend to stay in a place of peace? That's, that's oxymoronic. No, it's because it's better that you strive to stay seated and focused on Christ and seated with him so that you can stay in the place of rest. Because if you don't, you come back into the world of turmoil and you become just like any other unbeliever that's blown this way and that by every wind of this and that that comes along in every circumstance. And, uh, you know, and also blown by every whim of our emotions up one day, down the next day. I feel close to God today. No, I don't today. You know, because I didn't sleep so well. I mean, the, the ludicrous stuff that comes out of our mouth, it's quite laughable, really. I, I sometimes when I'm ministering to people, I, I like say, they'll tell me their fears. And I, I say, OK, can we? I said, let's just take that fear and let's just say it. Let's just let's just take that fear of yours and run it to its conclusion. And by the time we get to the conclusion, they're laughing. They're, they're in fits of laughter because they realize the absurdity of their fear. But the thing is, fear is is perverted truth and inverted and perverted faith as well because it's it's a truth that's not actually real but you have put power into the lie making it a truth when it isn't the truth it's a perversity of the truth and therefore if you believe in something that is not of the truth you are bringing your life and your authority under something which is not true and is a perversion 
and you will live under that as a slave, a slave to fear, a slave to this, a slave to that. But God has come, it says in Galatians, that you might be free and set you free. That's why Christ has died on the cross, to set you free. Hallelujah. God wants you free. But as Christians, you've got to fight sometimes. You've got to, you've got to contend for it. Now, let me give you an example about keeping focused on heavenly things. When I, when I for those that know, I died uh, a little while ago. And when I, when I went into that, 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 that time, I was not in a good place spiritually. And the reason why I was not in a good place spiritually is because I was focusing on some error. Not that I was in error, but I was focusing on a major doctrinal error. And I was like, man, this is going to be a big deception for the church. I really want to know this thing inside out. And it's a bit like the church, that is what happened to the church in the book of Revelation. They were so obsessed with error that they'd lost their first love. Jesus said, guys, you need to come back to your first love. Otherwise, I'm going to remove your candlestick. It's as simple as that. Get it right. Come back to me. Get your focus. Get your attention right. You know, as one person said that the way of spotting counterfeit money is not to study counterfeit money all the day long, but actually be spending all your time with the real thing so that when something fake appears before you, you'll immediately think, you might not know, but you'll feel something's off here. And it's the same when it comes to uh, theology as well. It's actually best to keep your mind on God and on the truth so that when heresy or partial truths come in, you go, I don't know why I don't agree with this, but there's something that's not sitting right about this. And trust your gut, trust your instinct. So anyway, so I'd been focusing on this error that was in the church and, I, and I'd spent a lot of time in it. And then, boom, died. Okay. So then I came out of that and I just was not in a good place because I'd completely taken my eyes off Jesus. And so I was in the quagmire of my own juices, of my own turmoil. And I was like looking on Google like, oh, if, if I've got this, um, this thing that's happening to me, you know, is there any hope? And you know what doctors are like? They, don't, they, they always hedge their bets, don't they? They're not going to tell you anything you really want to hear. They're always just going to, well, you know, mm, uh, mm, well, we don't really know. Mm, uh, yeah, probably going to die. But yeah, well, you know, who knows? <laughs> right. So you, you, there's just no hope. And I, I was looking all the time like on the internet. I got this and I got this. Is this? And there was no hope. There's no hope. And even if I did get something, that hope was like trying to glass, grasp smoke with my hands. I got it. And then poof, it's gone. And then I'd have to go and try and search more hope. And then eventually, after about a couple of weeks of just rolling around in my own misery, the Holy Spirit said to me, Physician, heal thyself. And I was like, oh... In other words, you're always happy to dish out the advice. Why don't you take some of your own? So I actually started listening to my own sermons, which, you know, was, 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 was good. I was okay with it. You know? No, I started listening to my own sermons and I started to edify myself and I started to take my, my attention off looking for hope and answers from the world around me where there is nothing and started to fix it upon Jesus again. And that's what got me out of the miry muck. You see, if we keep our eyes focused on him, it is him alone that will get us out of our muck. You see, God is called a deliverer. And a deliverer is one who takes something from one place and puts it in another place. And so Jesus will take you from the miry pit and he'll set you up on a high place. Yeah, he's made our feet like deer's feet. He sets us up in high places. So if you're going through a dark and dim tunnel or, or, or a place, you need to know two things. Firstly, um, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for my Lord is with me. His rod and his staff comfort me. In other words, God's with you in the muck. 
He hasn't left you. It's like, okay, guys, that's too unholy place for me. You're on your own. Okay, he doesn't do that. He's with you in the muck. And guess what? If he can live inside of us, and let's face it, we're not particularly all that awesome a lot of the time. If he can put up with living in there, then he can put up with whatever you're going through, okay? And so, and, and God's point is that you need to remember that he's with you. He'll never fail you. He'll never forsake you. But also you must remember is that you've got to look up because you've got your answers. You, you're not like the world. They've got nothing. You've got everything you need, but you've got to do it by faith. You can't just like, oh, Jesus, do it all for me because it's just not going to happen. He's done his bit. He came down, took on human flesh, lowered himself to our level, made himself and dwelt amongst us, died on the cross for us so that we can go up to his level. He's done his bit by coming down to us. It's like, guys, I've done my bit. I came down to you. I condescended to your level. Now you as children of the living God, get up to my level. As it says in Revelation 4, come up here and I will show you what must surely come to pass. If then you are raised with Christ, seek what is above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Think of what is above, not what is on earth. Think of what is above not of what is on the earth. Now, this is an interesting scripture. Now, when Paul wrote this to the Colossians, now bear in mind that, that, that this is the word of God. This is sacred scripture. This is holy writ, okay? This is theopneustos, that's Greek for it's outbreathed of God himself. This is the word of the living God, okay? This is not a Paul coming out with a really nice kind of thing to say here. And it's like, Paul, I really like that super spiritual thing that you said today at church. Really warmed my belly, really like it. I'm not sure if it's something I could agree with, but it kind of warmed my belly. It, this is not one of those moments. This is the word of God saying, you've got to stop looking at the things of the world and you've got to focus on me. Hallelujah, as in Jesus, not me. You've got to focus on Jesus and get your eyes off the world. This is a, one of the New Testament commandments. There's 1,400 of them. That's one in your list, okay? Don't look at the things that are going on around you. Put your focus on heavenly things. Now, something that I felt God wanted me to talk about this morning as well in this, which was being brought out by all the scriptures that have been mentioned so far this morning, was in First Colossians, uh, verse 24, sorry, what am I saying First Colossians? Uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Now listen to this. Now I rejoice. Now, now just stop there. I rejoice. What did he say? Okay, he didn't say I commiserate. He didn't say I go off and have a hissy fit. He said, I rejoice. In my sufferings, for your sake. Now, here's, here's the bit that will blow your theology out of the water. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ on behalf of his body, who is the church. Now, I need to make this very clear. When Jesus Christ went to the cross, he fulfilled everything that was required to fully atone for our sins. But... Even in Christ's sufferings, not the fullness of that measure was done in him, but we, the church, who is the body of Christ, must also suffer as he suffered. You look at the book of Revelation at the very end, you go, why does the church go through such a grim time at the end? Because it's just like Christ. 
Christ in the last hours of his life was in the darkest, grimmest place of his, of his time on earth. And he is Christ. And the church is the body of Christ. And therefore, as he suffered, so must we suffer. But Paul makes it very clear to rejoice in your sufferings. And it says in James chapter 1, consider it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you, fail, when you uh, face trials and tribulations of many kinds, because it perfects your faith. This is what God wants. You see, there is this place where there is a place of suffering in Christianity. There, and, and this is what I felt God wanted to say to you as well. That in your suffering, don't let it be wasted. Don't, don't sit there and, and commiserate and oh, this, that and the other. Just actually turn this around. That you are taking in your body that which is lacking in Christ's body because you are the body of Christ, the church. And therefore, embrace it. I know this sounds really perverse, but the scriptures say, I rejoice in my suffering. So you can turn this around and you can cling on to Jesus and you can say, Jesus, I, like Job, I don't know why this is happening to me. I don't understand, but I rejoice in this and I accept in myself what was lacking in your body. Now, you might think I've never heard anyone preach like that before, but it's in your Bible. <laughs> Paul says himself, I, I, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, because he knew that he was suffering for, for the sake of the church. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ on behalf of his body, which is the church. Hallelujah. And you might think, well, this is not a very encouraging sermon, Chris. I mean, what's this about? <laughs> because God wants to encourage us, actually, is that some of you here have gone through an awful lot and are going through an awful lot, and maybe will go through a lot. But God wants to encourage you, is that your suffering is not needless. Your suffering is not pointless. Your suffering has a reason to it. Sometimes it has things that you don't understand, but, but it's, not mining, it's not mindless, it's not meaningless. It's, it's not just something you've gone through for no reason. It's not that you're a victim of circumstance. In all of these things, turn it around and get your eyes on Christ and not on the circumstances. And in all situations and in all circumstances, give thanks. Surely you don't give thanks for the circumstance. Well, it says give thanks in all circumstances. Lord, I thank you for dot, 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 dot. Yeah, but I can't, would, I can't, I'm not sure if I should thank God for things like that. The Bible says give thanks. And then you could say give thanks in all circumstances. Lord, I'm in this mess. I just thank you and praise you, Lord God. I know that I'm about to drown in... But I, but I give you thanks and I give you praise, Lord Jesus. Because you see, God inhabits the praises of his people. It's praise that will get you out of your deepest pit. It's praise that will lift you up into the high places. It's praise and focusing and keeping our eyes and our gaze upon the reward of our salvation. The author, the perfecter, the starter, the end of our faith. It's Christ and Christ alone. Hallelujah. And Paul says, I pummel my body that I may obtain a better resurrection. What are we living for? Are we living for breakfast time, for dinner time? We're like hobbits. Oh, what should I have for tensies, for elevenses? Oh, I feel hungry now. What are we going to have for onesies and threesies? That's how we live. We're like, oh, just literally living to the next hour. But we've got to live for eternity. We've got to think, 
I must be doing things. Even in my suffering, I want it to count for something so that I may attain a better resurrection. So then all of these things, that just these trials and tribulations, I'm going to turn this around and use it so that it will bless Christ and bless me in my resurrection. That nothing, and this is the thing God wants to say to you, nothing is wasted. Nothing. Some of you have gone through an awful marriage. Turn it around. Give it to Christ. You know, as an offering of something. In everything, in every situation, nothing is wasted with Christ. In your sufferings, it's nothing's wasted. Sometimes, maybe I'm a bit weird, I don't know. Don't answer the question, it's rhetorical. (laughs) But, But... I, I sometimes, sometimes things, things are hard, you know, especially in my job, but things can be really hard. You have to deal with all kinds of problems and all scenarios and all situations and all variables as well. Because what you can't do as a pastor is lose your temper. Not allowed to, right? You can lose your temper. You can have a big go at me. You're this, and but I'm not allowed to, right? Even though when you lose your temper with me, it kind of gives me permission to have a go back, but I'm not allowed to. Okay, I'm just not allowed to. So there, there are times and things that I have to go through in, 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 as, a, as a Christian which are really hard. But what I've learned to do over the years is now when I come across these situations, I embrace them. In fact, I get worried when it's too nice and easy for too long. I don't like it. Actually, I don't. I just get, oh, this is not good. I, if it's, when situations come along, I like to embrace it because I know in embracing it, it changes me. It makes me stronger and it makes me more Christ-like, it makes me more patient, and that's, that's why I embrace these things. Don't run from them. They're going to catch you, so don't run from them. They will get you. So instead, just stop and say, come here and I'll give you a big hug. Now just, just hug that thing. Give it a big kiss, right? Just, just embrace that thing, because ultimately it's going to make you, it's going to make you strong in Christ. Holy Spirit saying, I've said enough now, I should shut up. So there we go. So I wanted to encourage you with that. Keep your eyes focused on Christ. Don't worry about suffering. Embrace it because God wants to turn all these things around us for your maturity and for the perfecting of your faith. Amen. Amen.